Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, we're grateful for this time we've been able to share together uh, already as we've been worshiping together. Uh, we're in the middle of a, a series just on the nature of discipleship, and we've been talking through some concepts and some things that we find in Luke's gospel. If you want to go ahead and, and, and turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 9, we'll jump in and read uh, from Luke 9 here in just a moment. Uh, today, what I, I really want to do uh, in our time is to remind you of something and uh, to remind you of this idea that, that hopefully we'll see here uh, in Luke, but it's this idea that good news is meant to be shared. Good news is, is always meant to be shared. When we have good news in our lives, I think it is just natural for us to want to share that good news with other people. A couple of years ago, I was in an, uh, an airport bookstore, and I was looking for something to read. I had a flight, and then a, another flight after that, and normally I have uh, two or three books kind of queued up and ready to go, but I'd already read through some of those and just wasn't, wasn't in the mood to read any of the heavier stuff that I had. So I was looking for a fiction book, and I saw this one book there in the, in the airport bookstore, and it was uh, a work of fiction. I don't read a whole lot of fiction. I, I find a lot of it kind of boring, you know, predictable, but... Uh, but this one looked kind of interesting. It was one of those, you know, post-apocalyptic, end-of-the-world kind of books. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, so I grabbed it and, and picked it up and started reading it, and I just sped through. I read all 700 pages of this book in, in no time. It was, I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was really well-written. I thought it was one of those, one of those books that, that operates on a couple of different levels. I saw some really deep spiritual themes moving through this book talked a lot about family and, and hope and redemption and what it means to be human. And so I told all of my friends about this book. I mean, I, I would tell people, hey, you've got to read this book. It is really, really good. And then I would hand out copies of it, and they would look at it because it was, you know, again, like 700 pages. And they're like, okay, this better be a really good book if I'm going to commit to 700 pages. But I would give copies uh, to people. I bought a copy and took it down to my friend John who lives in Honduras. And I was like, John, you have to read this book. I would go so far as to like post on social media every time that the book would be on sale on Amazon. You know, I was just telling everybody I knew. I was an evangelist for this book, okay, um, because I thought it was really good. And I wanted to share that good news with other people because good news is meant to be shared. And we do that with a lot of other things in life, things that mean a whole lot more than just how you're going to spend a, a couple of hours or even a couple of days reading a book. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about things, you know, like, uh, like the television programs that we're really into. You ever watched a show on Netflix and, you, and, and you're so convinced this is a good show, you start telling everybody, oh, you have to see this show. It's really, really good, you know. Or if, if you have something maybe a little more substantial that you want to share. You know, you, you get that acceptance letter to your number one choice, the university that you want to go to. You have good news. What do you want to do? It's not long before you're, you're, you're you know, sharing a, a hashtag blessed post or, you know, or you're, you're calling people, you're telling everybody, no, because that's what you want to do. You want to share good news because good news is meant to be shared. And it works this way through all the different seasons of life. We're engaged. She's going to have a baby. He got the job. We're moving back home. Good news. Good news is always meant to be shared. And that same principle applies not just in these areas of our lives, but, but more importantly, that, that principle applies spiritually. At least that's the idea that we see here in the pages of the New Testament. 
As we said, we've been going through Luke's gospel to try and, and understand a little more fully about the nature of discipleship. And I think we'll see this idea here beginning in, in Luke 9, the idea that good news is meant to be shared. Because when we come to know Jesus, we, we experience him, and, and that encounter is good news. You know, when we come to, to trust Jesus and follow Jesus, that's, a, that's good news. Even, even as we gather around the table just a moment ago, and we're kind of celebrating what Jesus has done for us, some would ask, it's, okay, well, okay how is it that, that Jesus dying on a cross, how is that understood as good news? Because I talked to folks before, and they said, that sounds like really, really bad news, that God came here in the form of a human, and, and we killed him. But if you, if you step back and you look at it from the purposes of God, even that story of Jesus is understood as good news because in the cross, atonement's a little tricky, okay? But in the cross, we see the ultimate end of the powers and the principalities that the scriptures say are in control of the world that, that we live in. You see, like, the, the evil forces are always promising something, but they can't deliver on it. They're always saying, hey, if you really want life, you need to pursue X. And so we give in and, and, and we disobey the will of God to find real life. And that might be a different temptation for you than it would be for the person next to you. But whatever it is that we might be tempted to, to disobey, that forbidden fruit that we want to reach for, whatever it might be, it never fulfills the promise that the evil one kind of whispers in our ear. So the evil one will say, hey, if you really want life, you need X. You need this in your life. You need to reach for that. You need to indulge yourself here. And it sounds really good and it looks really tempting and we reach for that forbidden fruit only to find out that it's hollow. Only to find out that it doesn't satisfy. Only to find out that we've got to keep coming back for more and more and more. And the evil one, the principalities, the powers, they have us on the hook then. And in the cross, we see Jesus exposing all of those lies. Exposing the false claims of the systems of the world to say that's not real life because what Satan always tries to sell us on as the good life inevitably ends up killing us, rupturing communities. Satan will convince us that, hey, if, even if you indulge a little bit over here, it's just a little private sin, that doesn't hurt anybody. And you take a step back and you look, there is no such thing as private sin. There's no such thing as sin that does not sever community with you and God and with you and others, every single one. And so even in the cross, even in that moment of agony, he's hanging there, he's exposing the principalities and the powers. This is the ultimate end for the one who claimed to be life. He came and came to give abundant life. And those forces execute him, put him to death, and yet he redeems all of that by absorbing into himself the violence, the agony, the shame, the guilt, the sin, all of that that is a part of our broken system. He absorbs within himself and rises victorious. And that brothers and sisters, is a word of good news. That's why we come here today. We can't sleep through that, you know? 
We can't just yawn our way through that when we hear what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's a message that's worth living for. So as we think about discipleship, when we think about what, what God has done, we think about good news, all that is kind of built into what we're about to read in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus commissions his followers to go out and to share good news, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's look here at this passage now. Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons. Let me just stop right there. Not over some demonic forces, not over the low level, you know, the, the junky demons that anybody could be. No, he says, I give him, give him power over these demonic forces. We say, well, okay, what does that look like? I don't know. <laughs> but, it's, but it's in the Word. Like, we live in a world that's far more spiritual than we realize. I mean, just a cursory reading of the scriptures will tell us that. We kind of think we live in a world where everything, you know, reality is what you see. And the scriptures say, nope. <laughs> like Jesus is here and he's calling his disciples and he's about to send them out. He said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deputize you guys. I'm going to give you a little bit of power. And here's what you have power over, all demons. And they're just saying, okay, wow. So what do we do with that power? <laughs> Well, he goes on to, t to tell them what he wants them to do. But just, again, if, if, we're, if we're listening to that lie of the evil one, that we just live in a, in, a, in a physical space where everything you see is just, that's all reality is. Jesus turns that upside down. A reading of the Gospels will turn that upside down and will cause us to think, what a spiritual place the world is gives them power and authority over all demons, curing diseases. And he sent them out, not only to do those things, powerful as they might be, but he sent them out, he sent the 12 out to do this, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And it says that they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everyone. Uh, so Jesus, again, he calls the 12 together here. He gives them power and authority here, uh, authority to heal diseases. He sends them out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Because here's our idea again, just a simple reminder, things we know to be true in our lives because of silly things like books and, and Netflix shows and, and, and really important things in our lives like, you know, family issues or whatever. Good news is meant to be shared. And I hope you get really tired of hearing me say that because I want us to say it over and over because I want that to kind of sink down into our DNA and into our bones. Good news is meant to be shared. And disciples share in that, that commitment to sharing the good news of Jesus. And so these disciples, they carry out the same ministry tasks that Jesus performs because Jesus is the one. He was walking around talking a lot about the kingdom. Jesus is the one going around, you know, casting out demons. Jesus is the one who has authority over these, these forces in life. He has authority over these diseases. And so dis the disciples are just called to carry out this same mission. Because discipleship is being changed to think 
and act like Jesus. And you note the content of their message. Luke describes it using these two overlapping phrases, okay? These disciples proclaim the kingdom of God and they preach the gospel. Jesus himself combines both of those in another passage over in Matthew's gospel. These are the words of Jesus. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So gospel and kingdom, for Jesus, those two things are are wedded together, and that's what he commissions his disciples to go out and talk about. So I think it's natural for us to want to say, okay, what is the gospel? What does that word mean? You don't hear that word a lot outside of church. And sometimes even in church, we don't use that language. But what, what is the gospel and what does it have to do with the kingdom of God? When the world of the New Testament, that word gospel, the word that comes to us, it's, it, it was used quite often. It was a Roman word. It was a Caesar word. It was a word that kind of hailed and announced the good news of a victory on foreign soil. So gospel just means good news. And in Jesus' day, in the day of Paul, in the day of the earliest believers, the the, the early church, you know, the word gospel was used a particular way. So you'd hear it, and it it was kind of a political term. It was a military term. On the streets of Rome, gospel annunciation would be, hey, we conquered another foe. Another enemy on foreign soil has been defeated. Hail Caesar. You know, like that was good news in the ancient world. And so the writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, they're told to use this term, this term that Jesus used, the term that the early church used, but to use it in a really subversive kind of way, to redefine what gospel meant. So we get away from gospel being a Caesar word. When it comes to Jesus, because he's saying, I am, I am announcing, I'm proclaiming a different kind of good news that has nothing to do with this man and his little bitty kingdom that is not eternal, okay? But instead, I'm announcing the availability, the inbreaking in the present of the future. The kingdom of God has come near now. Salvation is possible today. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, today is the day of salvation. And so when Jesus comes and he begins to proclaim this gospel, this good news, it has something to do with the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Rome. Because Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the king. Would you follow somebody who just walked up to you and kind of announced and said, you know, that he, he or she was, was in charge, that he or she was, you know, the king or queen, however you want to put it, you know? Like to us, that might, that might sound a little off-putting. That might sound a little arrogant. We were thinking, you know, who are you? Why, why would you, why, why, why does Jesus get to go around and kind of sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly announce that he's the king? Isn't that a little arrogant and off-putting? Well, I guess it is. Unless, unless you're really the king, you know, unless you're really the king and you can't, you can't lie, you know, if you're really the king of righteousness and, and, and you can't deny the the truth and the reality, uh, I guess it would be a little arrogant, unless you're really the king and, 
and you're the way and the truth and the life, and you want people to recognize and know that what the scriptures have to say is true, that all history, all reality orbits around him, that he is the, the gravitational center there of all things. Paul says as much in Colossians chapter 1. And so this gospel, this good news, it has to do with Jesus. It pertains to, to Jesus, but we, we dig deeper. Okay, what exactly is the good news about Jesus? And I want, I want to ask you to kind of turn to an earlier part of Luke's gospel, because in Luke's gospel, Jesus, Jesus announces, he, he spends some time talking about good news before we get to Luke chapter 9. This is Luke chapter 4. You just go back a couple of pages or, you know, pull that up on your phone or whatever. Luke, Luke 4 is where we find a passage that, that is exclusive to Luke, but it tells us, it tells us about the ministry of Jesus. This is kind of like, it's kind of like his mission statement in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, here's our word, good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight for the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is after his baptism, after his temptation in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus returns home to Galilee, goes to Nazareth. He's teaching in all the synagogues, it says. And this particular moment serves as kind of this, this announcement of his ministry in Luke. It's, it's really something of a mission statement in Luke's gospel. So he reads from this section that we call Isaiah 61. He didn't call it that because the chapters and verses, that's a human, that's a human thing to help us kind of get there. It wasn't called Isaiah 61 in his day. It was just, this is Isaiah. It's a singular message, not chapters and verses. Um, and so he refers, he goes to this spot that we call Isaiah 61, and, and, and he declares to be God's anointed one. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is, has anointed me, okay? Uh, that's a declaration of being the Messiah. You ever wonder what Messiah means? Like, why do we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, you know? Um, I asked that question once, and, you know, a group of little ki children, they like, is that his last name? He said, you know, Jesus Christ, is Christ his last name? Well, you know, that's a good guess, okay? But Christ is just a different version of the same word Messiah, okay? So when we call Jesus the Christ, we're calling him the Messiah. Well, what does that mean, right? Messiah means anointed one. It's a way of saying that Jesus is the promised one that God anticipated all those years before with all those prophets, all those messianic prophecies that are in there. All those places in the scriptures where the prophets anticipated and looked forward and they saw this coming day when God's righteousness would, would break into the present again. Where, where no longer would God put up with 
rampant evil, but instead he would send his one, his anointed one, his king, to announce and declare and bring with him a new kingdom and a new way of thinking and a new way of being. And so when we say that Jesus is the Messiah, we're not just tacking on like another title for him. It's a way of saying that he fulfills all of God's promises. So Jesus reads all this, and he announces all this. He talks about, you know, here's, here's good news. He's a part of, of the Messiah's breaking into history, and it's good news for the poor, and it's sight for the blind, right? It's recovery uh, of liberty for the captives. And he talks about it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's a way of saying, basically, that, that the year of Jubilee has now come fully, the year of Jubilee concept in the Old Testament, when all debts were canceled and slaves were set free and so jesus then he puts the scroll down after he reads all that and he says okay this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and it's a not so subtle point that he's making he's declaring that he is god's anointed one god's messiah the one who brings good news and this is the good news that the kingdom is here because the king is here and that may sound kind of arrogant to you if you're sort of on the fence and thinking about who is jesus he's this guy going around declaring that he's the king and he doesn't look like he's the king of much of anything because he comes from a poor backwater town in galilee and even his own people killed him. How is he the king of, of anything? But he is the king. Because in him, the kingdom of God that so far has outlasted the kingdom of Rome, <laughs> the kingdom of God has come near to man. The kingdom is here because the king here and the good news is that jesus is the anointed one who fulfills all of god's promises to israel god fulfills all of his promises and that's that's an essential part of our understanding two thousand years later of what the new testament means it talks about gospel and good news. Don't gloss over that. It's huge. That's huge for the ministry of Paul. Paul is all the time trying to belabor the point and help people see that, yes, even though Israel's Messiah came, and yet he was rejected, he was crucified, and he was killed, even though all that happened, God has not been unfaithful to Israel but instead, God has been exceedingly faithful to keep all of his promises because in Christ Jesus, those promises are yes. Remember Paul talking about that? And so he labors to kind of connect the story of Israel. Again, don't glaze over on this. This is, this is really important. He's laboring to connect the story of Israel with God's faithfulness in Jesus. So that we don't come along and say, well, wow, Israel once, that, they were once God's people, but I guess he kind of rejected them. I guess he kind of got tired of them. And so, you know, he broke up with them and then he started this whole new thing like version 
That's kind of how I was brought up to think about the church. And that sounds great if you're in the church. Until you, then you start thinking about, well, okay, I thought God made some like eternal covenant promises over here. So does that mean God's a covenant-breaking God? And I don't think we like that. More importantly, I don't think that's what the scriptures say about our God. And so for Paul, in his presentation of the gospel, he's always going to come back to this idea that, hey, God is exceedingly faithful. The unfaithful partner in the covenant arrangement here, it sure isn't God. It's you and it's me. As we've chased after what the powers and the principalities have to offer, we're the ones who go astray, right? We're the ones who reach for forbidden fruit. We're the ones who come over here all the time and neglect the good news that Jesus come to bring paul in his presentation of the gospel he's always going to come back to the person of jesus and that's how paul frames the gospel in in first corinthians chapter 15 and um we're out of time so we're just going to hit the pause button i don't know any other way to do it um we're going to hit the pause button and we'll come back next week lord willing and we'll pick this up I really hate that. I hate to do a disjointed kind of thing. But this is too important. The nature of of the gospel is always connected to the kingdom of God that has come near in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, what do you believe about the kingdom of God? What do you believe about Jesus? What about Jesus is good news for you? And I don't want you to like default to what mom and dad told you. That's not going to get you real far. In your bones, late at night, when you put your head on the pillow, what do you believe to be good news about Jesus? Is it good news that he came? That he was born of a virgin? That he lived a sinless life? That he proclaimed the availability of the kingdom of God. Is that good news? Or is that just like another, is that just more noise in a world full of noise? And hey, what's, what's for lunch anyway, right? Is it really good news that Jesus died and was buried and rose again and appeared first to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then proclaimed this eternal word of victory that culminates in the final enemy to be defeated, which is death. The gospel's life and death for us. And the gospel is good news. And that good news, like all good news, is meant to be shared. So my prayer is this. If you've responded to the good news of Jesus in your life, if you've ever walked down an aisle or maybe you've done what Harlan did just a a few moments ago, you, you entered into the water following Jesus into that place and and you made that confession, Tim's right, Jesus doesn't build his church on Simon Peter, he builds his church on that confession of his lordship, so discipleship is a life centered on the lordship of Jesus, so if you have followed Jesus into the water and you've you've centered yourself, you've made those claims, renouncing the false kingdoms of the world, but instead finding a new place, a new realm, a new life 
in Jesus, my prayer is just this, that you find somebody to share that good news with, if you still believe that it's good news. That's my prayer. They say even the most introverted, quiet person will influence 10,000 people in her lifetime. Varying degrees of influence, I know, okay? But if you found just one person, just one person to share that good news with, and they, they were influenced for Christ because of your conviction that it's good news. Don't, don't get me wrong, that doesn't save anybody. But how will they be saved unless they hear? And so one person in your sphere, in your circle, and the, the people you do life with, there's somebody that needs to know that you believe Jesus is good news. So if you've responded to that good news before, my prayer that God would give us, because I'm right there with you, the eyes to see and the ears to hear those who are around us desperately in need of a word of good news named Jesus. And if you've not responded to that word of good news before, my prayer today is just that you would hear the word of Paul again from 2 Corinthians 6, that today is the day of salvation. It can be. I'd go so far to say it ought to be if it hasn't been so far. So we stand ready to say today can be that salvation moment for you. If you're ready to receive the word of Jesus as good news, to give your life to him in discipleship, to let him take you under that water and wash away all uncleanliness and to bring you back up something new and redeemed and transformed. What a promise. Good news, right? You need to hear and, and respond to that good news i hope that you will today because this word is given in the name of jesus christ the sovereign lord who makes all things new he who has ears let him hear let's stand together and let's sing